Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 195. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Susanna O'Neill. Hello. And I'm especially grateful to have you here today because of a topic you brought up in one of our earliest conversations about the pressure to parent, more specifically, how people, including strangers, feel comfortable remarking on the fact that you aren't and don't plan to be a mother. And that's always sat with me as something that isn't any of other people's business, but I'm sure speaks to underlying sociological and cultural influences that, as ever on this show, I'm looking forward to unpacking. As any longtime listener would tell you, I'm a big fan of children, but admittedly, having not raised any myself, I really think that appreciation exists far more in the abstract than in reality. I haven't been present for sleepless nights or changing of diapers or absurd temper tantrums in airports or supermarkets, so I acknowledge that there's a very stressful side to child-rearing that we don't always see in media or stories we see depicting children, and if we do, for a very brief moment when parenthood lasts a long time. And so on that point, that appreciation, arguably that idealization of children, one of the thoughts I had in preparation for this is that perhaps these people presume that a woman they may have just met is suffering from this intense loneliness or emptiness that she, for all of her innocence and ignorance, might not be aware of. And I'd love to know what you think about that idea. I feel like a little background would be helpful here. I am a preschool teacher. I am not illusioned in any way about sleepless nights or hysterical temper tantrums in airports or otherwise. I also have five younger siblings. I have worked with children my entire adult life and a fair amount of my adolescence. My experience is not lacking when it comes to the tough and gritty, the really difficult the filth and energy and joy and fulfillment that comes with any experience with other human beings, especially human beings for whom every experience is novel and every moment is exciting and everything bad that happens is genuinely the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their entire lives, which I feel is true of parenthood, whether you have a six-month-old or 16-year-old and probably for parents of adult children as well. So I, I don't feel like they're telling me anything that I don't know, but they feel comfortable telling me. And what I find most unsettling is not, is not my mother-in-law who would really like to be a grandmother and would be an excellent grandmother or my own family who really want me to make really cute little babies right now. It's not the people who know me and the comments that they make that I find most concerning. It's the random strangers in random places, public places, private places, people who have met me for two minutes who feel comfortable not just commenting on the state of my womb and the size of my family, but feel comfortable arguing with me when I say something gently, politely, dismissive, evasive. 
try and change the subject without hurting anybody's feelings, who really try and push the issue. And the fact that it's not just a, okay, she doesn't want to talk about it. I'm going to pick up on this social cue. Grocery store clerks who our scope of interaction is limited by how many things I am buying and how quickly you scan them. And it feels like maybe this is a first level polite conversation topic. That's what weirds me out. That's what I find most distressing. And this experience is not unique to me, but it is unique to women. You never know that something is weird until you start talking about it. But when I have talked about this with you, with my husband, with my brothers, with any men in my life, that this isn't an experience that any men have. I first noticed it and thought it was weird when my husband and I both moved to a new town and started new jobs. The fact that it was the first thing that any of my coworkers asked me about, and it was the first topic of conversation, the first thing that they really intensely, emotionally engaged with me on, not just, I have kids, you have kids, super, which was the extent of the conversation that my husband and his coworkers had. He was asked in an interview, what's your family like? Are they great? That's nice. And then they moved on to things that were actually pertinent to his job performance. And no one cared. No one commented. No one tried to tell him that he was wrong, that his feelings were wrong, that his decisions were misguided, that he should feel guilty about what he was or wasn't doing, that he would change his mind. Or that if he just stood in this grocery line for another two minutes, they would change his mind for him. That that never happened, that struck me as weird and was something that prompted me to explore the topic further. On some of those points, I have a great deal to react to. But first, what specifically are people saying? Are there tones that recur in these conversations? And are they making more statements than they are asking genuine questions? Always. I think that's the trouble with conversation with strangers. That's the trouble with conversations with people who want to impart something more than they want to understand it, which is a constant issue for a broad swath of conversations. But specifically, some of the comments I hear most frequently are people asking me if I'm pregnant or telling me that I must be pregnant at every minor ailment, if I have a headache, if I'm hungover, if I have food poisoning, if I have anything that's wrong with me that could possibly be attributed to anything else. The go-to question is, you think you might be pregnant or you must be pregnant. And sometimes it's joking and sometimes it's light and sometimes it's not and always it's annoying. Another motif is guilt, that I should feel guilty, that this is a selfish choice Something that I've heard is that I should think of all the people who can't have children. People who tell me that I will regret it later, that this is just my opinion now because I'm young. And that the prevalent perspective seems to be that they can change my mind. If I just give them a minute, they'll alter my my experience, my decision, my understanding of my own body and the world and the choices that I've made. They're going to fix that for me. And that guilt really stands out for me, A, as an insidious motivator, because you should do things in life either for your safety, for the good of others, for your own good, etc. But guilt has always appeared to me as an imperfect means of motivating someone, and certainly one that leaves residual effects. Let's say someone did convince you, and of course your husband, to have a child or several, I would hate to think that you had done so out of guilt 
and out of the somewhat twisted motivation to relieve your guilt by bringing another life or multiple lives into the world. And obviously, human birth and creation is a more complex topic than even language would imply, but your decision is clear, and it saddens me that people, especially strangers, wouldn't respect that. But lingering emotions like guilt, or even in certain cases doubt, can have profound effects on the way people see the world. And I'm positive that over the course of human history, there have been people who doubted their abilities or interests in being parents, but were still parents nonetheless. And kids are especially intuitive, and even if they can't put two and two together verbally, will probably pick up on emotional tones and other elements. And if a child senses that you harbor some strange emotions towards them because of the freedom they've taken from you, or the sense of control of your life that you previously had, or the sleep that you've lost, things like that can rub off on them. And of course, as we are generational creatures, maybe they bring that into their relationship, potentially as a parent. And cycles continue. So while some people might disagree with your decision... I, in my bias and subjectivity, really respect the fact that you know that about yourself, because I think you are sparing a lot of people, including yourself, heartache and frustration. I appreciate your point, and I I was really struck by the word motivate, because the motivation for parenthood is definitely something that I question, especially in my position, because I work with so many small children, because I engage with so many families on such an intimate level on a daily basis, where I not only ask about their home life, but I need to know how your child slept. I need to know if dad is traveling for work. I need to know if anything in your routine changed. Sometimes I need to know if you took a different route to school that day because children are so emotionally intuitive and so sensitive to the experiences of others before they have any language to express it. It most frequently troubles me to see what we call in my circles the Christmas card families, families who had children because they established their careers and they bought a house. And the next thing that is on the list of boxes to check is that you you have a little boy and a little girl and maybe a dog and your family is complete and your life is picture perfect. And I see that in families that I care for. I see that in the families that I interact with. The biggest difference that I see in a child's life is when parents actually enjoy spending time with them, just enjoy them as people. That is such a magnificent change. And when you can see it in one parent and not the other, when you can see it in an interaction with an aunt or an interaction with a nanny, when they know that somebody, and even just other teachers or administrators, when they know when someone has to be with them or when someone wants to be with them, there are so many clearly marked changes in the child's attitude and experience and appreciation and ability to learn and social interactions that are quantifiable, that we can objectively assess as educators. And I have tools to do that. A big part of my decision to not be a mother. And I feel like I should say that I have procreated, that I donated my eggs. I wasn't using them and other people might. And probably the guilt that is impressed upon me by a large swath of the population was partially motivating that, that I wanted to do something good with this thing that I had that other people might need. And I'm happy with that choice, but the choice to not be a mother 
the motivation for that. The biggest emotional factor in my decision is the question of consent, that I am bringing a human being into this world with all of its quandaries, with everything that's going on in the human race and globally, without asking them, that I'm just pulling them into this mess, that I am making them live with me for the next 18 years of their life. On average, that I'm forcing someone who never asked for it, whose consent I cannot obtain into this life. And the tricky part of this conversation is that I've had similar thoughts. And I say tricky because I would love to have someone with a more rosy view of the world or child rearing. And certainly billions of people have had children over the course of human history. So some of them must have thought differently. But as long as I've considered the possibility of fatherhood in my life, as I've tried to envision decades or years ahead, I've thought about similar facts. That the child one brings into the world does not exist in a vacuum, and if the world is in a state of disrepair or seems like it is, maybe is lacking in resources, or appears to be on a downward trend, to what extent is that maybe a cruel or insensitive decision, perhaps even a voluntarily ignorant one to make, when you were faced with the facts, but didn't weigh them as someone else might, in this case, you, Susanna. And I think there are people who might respond and say, well, my child could be the solution to some of these problems, and we don't know who that human being could be. And as someone who is occasionally an optimist, I'd like to believe that's true. And I remain optimistic that some of the young people today could be the heroes of tomorrow, these scientists who help us solve great problems, etc., But there are now, as indeed there have always been, problems in the world. And I think different people will weigh them differently against the beauties that exist in the world. And the audience wouldn't know this about you, but you and I have had conversations in which you've articulated great insights and have shared wonderful stories that absolutely illustrate what good does exist in the world. So I would clarify to those who don't know you that I don't see you as a pessimist, and I think yours is more of a realistic position weighing different values. But I also don't want to speak for you and would love to hear your thoughts on that. As optimistic as I want to be, and I have been called Pollyanna more than once, is the fact that my motivation is not that I don't think I would be a good parent. It's not that I don't think my husband would be an excellent father. It's not that I don't think I could do this job because I know I could. I wouldn't have been able to donate my eggs if I was not genetically sound, if I wasn't healthy, if I didn't have tools in my toolbox to make a successful human being. It's not there that I'm lacking, but this comes to another genuine struggle that has taken a large part of my vacillations. A large part of my anxiety on this subject has been caused by the fact that I don't have good language for justifying my position when I'm asked to do so without being rude or cruel. I don't have a way to be politely evasive because people, when they're asking this huge thing about me, this hugely personal thing about me and challenging my decision, There's not a way that I can respond honestly, that I can respond sincerely and not be insulting. Because if I am to be completely honest, 98% of my motivation for not bringing new people into the world are the other people that are in the world. And that's mean and that's hurtful. And it's a judgment on them that they are having kids. But what my judgment speaks to is not their experience is not their action or inaction. 
The result is my inaction. The result is my lack of motherhood, not theirs. And I don't want to be mean and I don't want to be pessimistic, but I also don't want to force another human being to live with the children that you had because they look really good with your dog next to your Christmas tree. I don't want to force someone who never asked for it to interact in a world with the children of everyone I went to high school with. I grew up in the South, in the Bible Belt, in a place where by the age of 22, we were all supposed to be on our second marriage and our fourth kid. And I was considered an old maid by the time I was married at 25. This is a world populated by people that I don't want to force on anyone else. And that's obnoxious and cruel to say to other people. And I don't want to insult this innocent bystander who thrusts themselves into my life. I don't want to respond in kind because I don't think that they are trying to be cruel. I don't think that they're trying to rile me. One of the questions that I had coming into this that I would love your thoughts on, do people even know or care about the stress that they're causing? When a father who wants to be a grandfather looks a little sadly on your thoughts, my wonderful mother-in-law, who is a ridiculously accomplished quilter and a fabulous human being, that I'm depriving her of grandparenthood, that I'm depriving a child of being her grandchild, which would objectively be an amazing experience for any human being. And I'm, I'm very happy to have her in my life. I don't think that she is trying to hurt me. I don't think that she's trying to stress me out. And I know that she actively mediates her response in a way that people who are less, less aware of the impact that they can have on other people do not. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to insult anyone. I don't want to tell them that you're the reason that I'm not having kids. But it's true. And I want to be an intellectually honest person. I want to be a genuine human being. I want to be politely evasive without being dishonest. And I don't know if they know how much stress that they're causing, which is part of the reason that I keep having this conversation, which is part of the reason that I'm having this conversation now. And I remain thoroughly appreciative of your willingness to have it. Before I answer that question you had, I want to remark upon the fact that I find it incredibly courteous, if not profoundly compassionate of you, to not want to hurt the feelings of those who aren't showing you that same courtesy in bluntly asking you this question that is none of their business, particularly if you've just met them. And when you ask if people know the stress they're causing, my suspicion is that folks like you and I and various others may on some level be evolutionarily defunct because all species that reproduce will have offspring and their offspring will have offspring, etc., etc., when a species faces the bleak reality of extinction, obviously, that comes from an inability to reproduce. And I suspect that there are other species who, if they had the opportunities that humans have had to proliferate everywhere and continue to reproduce with increasing success as medicine and technology evolve, they would kill to have the same biological privileges. So I suspect there are human beings, some may be listening to this, that would scoff at your decision or anyone's decision to not reproduce. And in tying that back to your question, I don't think the majority of people who plan to reproduce or who have know that they're causing stress because to them, and again, probably to a lot of biological species, it's so normal to have children, so expected 
that for them, it might even be one of the most casual subjects of conversation, like the weather or what you do for work, because it's so expected, but it's what we don't talk about, the water we swim in, as David Foster Wallace would say, that is worth further examination. And I don't feel like this topic, especially by men who in our society aren't seen in the same parental light that women clearly are, should think about further. And in many ways, this topic gets at what I think is the supremely unique privilege of being human. That we have this long evolutionary tale linking us back to common ancestors and single-celled organisms, but we've reached a level of self-awareness as a species, obviously not as every individual, that allows us to consider these options. And I think that's so fascinating because I suspect many animals, not being sentient, don't consider in the same way. And so while it may cause friction with other people, I'm glad that folks like you ask these questions because it's better than mindlessly plunging into the future when we have so many tools of thought and consideration at our disposal. I would concede that the biological imperative is a motivator. What I would ask is uh, why my biological capacity has to be my primary purpose for being while I concede that socially it is a casual conversation, I'm asking, why is it a tier one conversation? Why is the state of my uterus and the size of my family as innocuous as the weather? It's not to me because there are a lot of emotional fraught conversations surrounding parenthood, surrounding people who can or cannot procreate, who maybe are struggling to procreate, who have struggled with miscarriages, who have some medical issue that's keeping them from this idealized parenthood that they want so badly, who are parents and don't want to be, who aren't as happy with their lives as they imagine that they would. This is a big deal to everyone. Why is it not a big deal to everyone to talk about it? As someone who shares your confusion surrounding the topic, though of course I haven't shared your experience, I'm not sure that I have a great answer, except to say that, in my observation of people, it seems like one of the easiest ways for us to communicate, to be comfortable or even interested in communicating with others, is to first put them in boxes. How do we know this person fits into our society? Where do they fit into our society? What role or roles do they play? And in our painful tendencies towards superficiality as a species, I suspect that one of people's first assessments is that you, presenting as a woman, could be a mother? And should be is the point that I'm struggling with, that because I am good with children, because I smiled at your baby on the street, because you saw a parental-like interaction that I had, that I should be a mother, is the addition I would like to make. And should is a really great and obviously operative word there. I would push back on all of those people who have these expectations, etc., and say that in a society as large as ours, whether we're talking about the United States and our 300 plus million citizens, or a globe of many billion, A, I personally believe there are enough people on the planet, and B, there are so many ways to give back to a society, especially given modern technology, you have the opportunity to influence thousands, if not millions of lives, depending on who you are, and to presume that parenthood, however essential it might be, is one of the few ways you can give back, or even one of the few ways you can interact with or contribute to a young person's life, I find rather short-sighted. You're doing a lot to influence the children you teach, and I think that's not only commendable, but is likely more than some parents out there are doing, 
to nurture or even get to know the children they have. And as I've often heard about the social patterns of some older individuals who are in a couple and spend time socializing with a lot of other couples, I wonder if people think that you might experience some social fragmentation in the future where you won't have people to relate to because you are not a mother sending her child off to college. And again, I would say that we're in such a vast and interesting society that there are any number of ways you can spend your time, any number of fulfilling activities, and again, ways to add value to other people's lives that I continue to struggle with why people find this appropriate or reasonable to bring up to you. But those are some of my thoughts. Yes, that is something that people have actually said to me that I will regret it later. And I can't speak to my future self. But what I really struggle with in response to that point is why is the question not what good you can do for the world? Why is the question not about adoption? My job exists because people outsource parenthood. I am good at my job and would be a good parent, but I have never been asked, why don't you adopt? I have never been asked, why don't you work at a summer camp? Why don't you fulfill children's lives in other ways? And I think that this might be more pressing in my generation because the spectrum of family is so much broader than it was in the 20s because there's not a mom who stays at home and a dad who goes to work and a child who's an Eagle Scout if he gets all of his grades right. We live in, in multi-family homes, that we live in different conditions, that, that we don't all fit that cookie-cutter mold of the subdivision. But the conversations that are tier one, that people are comfortable having, are still in that mindset. There's been a lot of talk recently about the Facebook bubble and the bubbles that we put ourselves in socially. And I think the algorithms, the sequence of events that are most socially acceptable, the fact that I changed my status to in a relationship and three months later, I got engagement ring advertisements. And three months after that, I got wedding advertisements and bridesmaids dresses. And three months after that, I got diapers. And my husband did not have that experience. In the same way that the Facebook algorithm responds to the most expected sequence of events, I feel like every human being that brings this up with me is doing the same thing, and I don't want to fault them for that. But I want them to think about what they're doing, and I want them to think about why this is not a big deal, and I want it to be a bigger deal. And on that call to think, and to think more critically, what would you like our audience to consider further after listening to this conversation? I'm really reticent to prescribe what people should feel because I can only speak from my own experience, but my motivation for doing this is the same as my motivation for refraining from parenthood because I want people to consider, to reflect, to understand the impact that they have in the world. I want you to think about what is normal and why it's normal and if it should be. And if you want to have a conversation with someone that you love about what a great parent that you think that they could be, make sure you have all of the information. Make sure that there's not something that you don't know that could make this really hurtful. And bring up adoption. Bring up some familial structure that's not on Andy Griffith. Give us some diversity in our conversation and recognize that my purpose as a woman has some diversity. Not just that I can be fulfilled and not be a parent, 
but that I can be my best self for the world without being a parent. And also recognize that you might not know what you're talking about, and I might know my own feelings. And though we didn't touch heavily upon it, gender plays a clear or at least parallel role to this topic of conversation. I can't recall circumstances where my potential fatherhood was brought up, nor have I heard even anecdotes of male friends of mine getting similar or identical questions and probes, be it in public or private. And that's another norm, or lack thereof, I would encourage the audience to think further about. And as I reflect upon the fact that there are certain friends of mine I could picture being exceptional parents, I think there are better ways to compliment the people around us than to say, you should make more of yourselves, or to add more of you to the world, which indeed can be a beautiful thing. And it's not my position that no one should parent ever, but I do think you, Susanna, make excellent points that people should be thoughtful in that decision because it is a serious and long-lasting one. And of course, for coming on and being exceptionally honest about all of this, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kip. It's not easy for me to have this conversation because I don't like disrupting. I don't like making a fuss. And I don't want to make anyone feel bad about themselves. But if you are inadvertently harming, I think that you should know it. And I want to help people be more respectful, to be more honest, to be more sincere in their everyday life. And I appreciate the platform. Well, it's only as good as its participants. And again, I thoroughly appreciate your being one. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and there are a lot of people out there who probably have thoughts on this topic, so we'd really love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive perks like exclusive bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.